Now, there's a lot of things I could talk about. I, I would never try to put God in a box and take an almighty, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowing God and try to reduce him to where you and I can control him, okay? Uh, the great age-old question is, if God is all-powerful and can do all things, can he build or can he make a rock big enough he can't lift? You know, that's where you start thinking about that and your head starts exploding and, and it's kind of one of those useless questions that the Bible uh, talks about. But is there something that causes Jesus to hunger? And I would tell you there is. Uh, we could talk about praise. I love praise. Um, I love the fact that, that, that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Uh, another place in the word of God says, if we, in talking to someone said, if, if you shut those worshipers up, Jesus said, the moment you shut those worshipers up, the rocks are going to cry out. Which tells me that there is a, a desire inside of creation to praise the Lord. I, I would tell you today that, that nobody can praise the Lord like you and I can praise the Lord. Uh, animals can do it, but they've never been recipients of the blood-bought uh, presence of Jesus Christ. I know the mountains can tremble and the Bible even says the hills could skip like lambs. I don't know how that happens, but that's what the Bible says. But even that pales in comparison to the worship that you and I can give the King of Kings. But I'm not talking about that's what he hungers for. And uh, I, I preach this message uh, at least once here at this church. But it's kind of like, to me, it's sort of like preaching Acts 2.38. Every once in a while, we need to remember that there is something that you and I can do that satisfies the Lord. And uh, you heard Brother Perryman uh, mention in, as he began this, um, this year our, our theme, you've seen it different places, we preached about it and added to it, our theme has been beyond. And this year it's my desire that, that we would go beyond the status quo in our lives. That, that we wouldn't say our, the best years that we've lived for the Lord are behind us. They ought to be right now. You ought, to be, you ought to be stronger in the truth tonight as you were any other time in your life. You ought to be more, you ought to exhibit more worship. You ought to exhibit more love for God. You ought to be more faithful right now in your walk with God than you've ever been. And, and when I say faithful, I know sometimes in our lives, sickness comes, illness comes that causes us not to be able to go to church. Uh, my uh, grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, uh, my grandfather has become very, very weak and, and just cannot, he, he has no energy, uh, he, he can barely uh, eat, eat without laying his head down in between bites. It's, it's, it's sad. I don't know when the last time Pawpaw's been able to be at church. But I can promise you that while he may not be able to darken the door of that church, he's still faithful. So, so just, just a caution. I don't want someone to look at someone that's sick or someone that physically can't, physically can't be at church and go, well, see, they're backslidden. Not necessarily. Because I've seen people that can... Can, can be there, but you ought to in your life right now, you ought to be stronger in, in God than any other time in your life. And so tonight I want to talk to you about what happens when Jesus comes hungry. And, and tonight I don't, I don't know that I'm going to teach you anything. Uh, Brother Hobson, Brother Bill Hobson that you heard is going to be here next Wednesday night. He is the North American Missions, formerly called Home Missions. He's our North American Missions Secretary. And uh, they are tasked 
with the, the vision of growing the church here in North America and home missionary efforts and planning new churches in helping existing churches start daughter works and preaching points. And, and uh, he has a great vision of that. He's going to come. I talked to him this morning. He's going to come next Wednesday, and I want you to come ready to learn. He's, gonna, he's going to teach. It's going to be a very systematic teaching of what it takes to, to make disciples in this world, to, to, to tell someone about Jesus, to outreach. And just what he was telling me on the phone, I was getting all excited. And uh, he's going to be there. And then after that, uh, Brother Perryman is going to be here, on those, and I'll be here, but Brother Perryman is going gonna, is gonna to continue that. There was a, a teaching session that went forth on a Saturday uh, that Brother Perryman and Sister Perryman were able to go to. And we're going to take some of that. Brother Perryman is going to teach it to our church. And it is from the teaching of Brother uh, Hobson and the rest of North American Missions. You don't want to miss it. Because this month, I want us to get a, a fresh desire to reach the lost. And, and while you can knock doors, that's not exactly the, the type of techniques we're going to be talking about. We're not going to tell you how to make a fist and knock on a door. We're not going to tell you how to uh, pass out a flyer. We're not in that, that. That's really not the purpose. The purpose is what it takes within us to get the want to to do that. Because there's so many ways we can affect our world. Let me, let me so, so tonight my desire... My, tonight, my desire as pastor is to ignite that burden in all of us and to, to get our, our appetite for, for what's going to get taught over the next couple of weeks on Wednesday nights. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 11, is going to be where we start. And uh, I want to I, I want to preach to you tonight when Jesus comes hungry. Mark chapter 11 Verse 11, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about of all the things, and now the evening tide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, or the next day, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man shall eat the fruit of thee hereafter, hereafter forever. And his disciples heard that. Then verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou hast cursed is withered away. When Jesus comes hungry. I, I realize, I... Um, I have heard all of my life, Jesus is coming back. I've heard all my life that the signs of the time are imminent. And you have too. Sister Way, you've heard that all your life. I'm pretty confident. And, and, and you're a bit older than me, not much, only a couple years. But uh, you've heard that as well. But can I tell you today that we are living in an unprecedented moment, an unprecedented hour that revival can come. And it's not just the revival of numbers. It's not just a revival service where an evangelist comes behind a pulpit. But it, what I mean is that we're living in a day and time in which there is a God who wants to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. He wants the church of the living God to experience that wave of apostolic power and authority. And the time is now. 
Now, uh, the, the song, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that there's a, a season for everything and a purpose for everything. You know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to pluck up. All of that is true. But this is what my Bible tells me about today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, For he said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in a day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if anybody ever wonders, is is God still saving? Yes. Joel chapter 2 verse 28, of course it was repeated on on Acts, uh, the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And upon your servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. That's the moment you and I are living in. Now, let's, let's go back to that fig tree. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus. He's tired. He's hungry. He's been traveling. He's been preaching. He's been ministering. And looking into the distance, Jesus sees a fig tree. Upon closer examination, he realizes that the season is just right for the picking. And I, I don't know. I, I love uh, uh, fruit trees. My grandparents have had them. My dad has had them. Other places have had them. I like being able. It's something kind of cool about going out there and picking fruit off of a tree. And I can imagine that Jesus' taste buds begin to water as he gets closer figs or delicacy in that place. And he goes to pick a fig. And as he pushes his hand through the branches, there is something that is wrong. A perfectly good fig tree should have been loaded with fruit, but there's no figs. Now Jesus is disappointed and he speaks to the tree and I want you to understand that the the words that Jesus speaks is not out of anger, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. I believe it's out of sadness. He tells that tree, tree, because you could not produce fruit for the master, I will not let you produce fruit for anybody else. It's a sad state of affairs that that fig tree found himself in. That fig tree was in the right place at the right time to feed the master. I don't know why, I don't know how, the Bible doesn't say. But it did not produce fruit and it was marked for the rest of its life. And I am convinced with beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a correlation between those that fig tree and you and I today. And I would hate for God, for, for you to be at the right place, at the right time, in the right church, in the right community, at the right job, at the right school, and no production. Let me show you how important this was to the Lord. Uh, if, you, if you know your, your Bible verse, you find that uh, in John chapter 4, and if you want to turn there, I would invite you to do so. I'm not going to read it, uh, all of it. But, but you can, you can kind of follow along. John chapter uh, 4 says in verse, or, or verse uh, 4, And Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And when he cometh to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, by the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was wearied with his journey. It was about the sixth hour. And so again, you remember that that. In that time period, you had the Jews 
and they considered themselves to be God's chosen people, and in a sense they were. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people. They were Jews that through the persecution had scattered, and in the scattering they had married outside the Jewish lineage. And so uh, they were considered half-breeds. They were considered inferior. And most would have desired to make a journey a lot longer. They would not go through Samaria. They would have said that place is, we don't have any business going through there. And they would have been, they would have rather gone a whole nother direction than go through Samaria. But Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. They didn't understand. But the reason was there was one lady that was going to meet Jesus. And that one, what, what some would say a chance encounter would change the course of an entire city. The disciples get there and Jesus is tired and he sits there on the well. And as he sits there, the disciples are, are, are just like you and I. They're always hungry and they're always wondering who brought the food and where the food's coming from. And Jesus said, well, why don't you go into the town and why don't you get some food? And Jesus sits there on that well. I don't know exactly how long Jesus sat, but the Bible says at the sixth hour of the day, that sixth hour means noon. Right in the middle of the day, a woman comes walking to the well. The sixth hour of the day, that noon, most people would have been inside their homes. They would have been feeding. Uh, they would have been eating. It wasn't normal to come to the well at that time. Let me, let me remind you, they didn't have running water then. Aren't you glad we have running water? Any of you ever had to live without running water other than camping? Some have. Some have, have been around it. And uh, I, I had an aunt that was, uh, I think, by marriage. But I had an aunt that I remember going to her house and she had a well on the front, front porch. And we could dip into that well. But, you know, if you don't have running water, see, it's easy for us. We wake up in the morning. Now, most of you, a lot of you have automatic coffee makers. Sorry, got the water in there. Some of you got really fancy coffee makers that you can set on a timer, and when your alarm clock goes off, the coffee maker turns on and it automatically drips. Anybody have fancy coffee makers like that? All right. But, you know, even if you don't, you just stumble there to the kitchen, you wipe the sleep from your eyes, and you fumble around and you grab, you just turn on the water, you fill up your coffee pot or your Keurig or whatever, and it's right there. And then, if you need to go brush your teeth, you walk into the bathroom, you turn the water on, you brush your teeth. If you want to make you a bowl of oatmeal, it's all right, you get the oatmeal out, you turn the faucet on, get your oatmeal, your water, pour it in the oatmeal. If you don't have running water, you got to go to a well. And the well was not at your house. The well was in a central location in the city. What that, mean was, what that meant was somebody would have to go to the well very early in the morning and potentially get enough water for that entire day's work. To brush your teeth, to cook with, to drink, all of that. And so usually you didn't want to make that trip several times. And so it was odd that this woman came to get her water at noon at the heat of the day. This was because I'm convinced and I think it, it, it would bear out that this woman, you know, you can imagine, you've talked about the gossip that happens around the water cooler at the work or around the water fountain there. It would have happened in the morning. It would have been kind of a festive occasion as women most likely would have gathered to that well and they would have uh, put their, their buckets down and one by one they would have got water there, filled them up. They were talking, they were laughing as, as people are prone to do, but this woman didn't want to be around them. Perhaps she had been the brunt of their uh, uh, talk before. See, this woman was 
different. Jesus says that she was, had already been divorced by five men, or at least five men had, had gone through her life in marriage. And uh, the one she was living with was not her husband. It's very interesting. Divorce in that day was, the, the woman could not initiate a divorce. In those days, if all a man had to do was get a, a, a letter of divorce and, and some biblical lands, all that husband had to say was, I divorce you three times or I divorce you five times in a public setting and it was done. And so uh, while it's easy to make this woman out to be some woman of ill repute, it, it may not be there. She may have just been unlucky in love. But here she is. She's going through five men. She's living with someone that's not her husband. And I can only imagine that puts that scarlet letter on her chest. Mothers would warn their daughters, don't grow up to be like her. Fathers would tell their sons, stay away from her. She's a man killer. Don't go near that. And so because of that, I believe she goes to the well alone. Perhaps she thought no one would be there. A brief moment of respite just to kind of get a drink and get what she needs. And there of all days, guess who's sitting on a well? A man. Think she wanted to talk to a man? No. Do you think she wanted to talk to a Jewish man once she figured that out? Absolutely not. And here it was, she would find that this one though was different. This one wasn't looking to take advantage. This one was not looking to give her some temporary love. But instead, she would find a love that would last for eternity. It was here. She came for a drink of water. But instead, she would find water that was life everlasting. And so, Jesus begins to talk to her. And it it astounds her. Jesus knows everything about her. He he knows her life. He knows her history. And she can't get there. And I want to kind of gloss over that part. To tell you that the disciples were in town, Brother Miller, they were getting food. They were over there at Walmart, or they were over there at Burger King, wherever it was, and they're getting food, and they come back, and they've got food, and they're ready to eat. And they walk up on this scene, and here's Jesus in an animated uh, kind of conversation with this Samaritan woman. It didn't make any sense for that day. For that day, there was absolutely gender uh, uh in uh, not there wasn't e- or equality, whatever the opposite of that was. They didn't, you know, there was definitely some class uh, systems going on. Women were not thought to be equal to men, and so a a man, you just didn't have a conversation with a woman, and especially that Jesus was considered to be a rabbi or a teacher. A rabbi or a teacher in those days would have never stooped to talk to a woman. So the Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 27, it says, Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What are you looking for? Or Jesus, why are you talking to her? They, they, you know, Peter was good at this. You noticed in the Bible that Peter had a problem just spouting off. In so much that one day Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're like the devil. Would you just shut up and go away? That's, that's Brandon Buford's version of the Bible. And uh, Jesus, I can imagine, said, whoa, 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 Jesus, hold on. Let me. I, I know you've only kind of been around three and a half years you know, in this ministry, and, but, but we don't talk to people like that. We don't, we don't mix with Samaritans. It's just not real good. Why don't we keep going to where we need to go? There's a whole lot of Jews over there that need to hear the gospel. And, uh, you know, so they're marveling. But nobody really asks what's going on. Those disciples were Jews. 
they had no dealings with the Samaritans. But the Bible tells me that Jesus came to seek and to save all who were lost. The disciples, now listen to this, the disciples had traditions that hindered their evangelism. Traditions that would have caused them. Let me take you to the book of Acts. Why did Jesus have to, why did the Lord have to put down a, a, a napkin or an apron or a cloth filled with unclean animals three times for, for uh, Peter? Why? It's because Peter had traditions that were going to hinder his evangelism. And so it was that those disciples, their traditions hindered their evangelism. Uh, I will tell you today, there is no scriptural law that commanded them to abstain from contact with the Samaritan. So that, that had nothing to do with even uh, the law of Moses or even some of their Jewish law. It wasn't a law. It was their tradition. But Jesus again said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. The disciples, they didn't mix and mingle with just anybody. If you recall several times in Jesus' uh, travels, it was, you know, telling the blind man, hush, go, move out of the way. Telling the kids, leave Jesus alone. Telling the ladies, you don't have anything to do here. G the disciples were constantly trying to insulate Jesus from people. And Jesus wouldn't let them. When they said, leave, you know, mothers, take the kids away, Jesus said, stop, bring a kid to me. He, he would tell the, the leper, come closer. He would go to the sick, the destitute, the downtrodden, the blind, the sin-filled misfits of society because Jesus had a passion for seeing the lost saved. Jesus standing there, and at this point, in this part of the story, that, that lady leaves Jesus' side and she goes back into the city. The disciples key in on this and they're holding that hot piping food they got from whatever place they got. And they said, all right, Jesus, okay, that's over. This is good. Let's eat. They started putting all the food out on the well ledge. Let's, let's find something to eat. And Jesus said, you know what, boys? I'm not hungry right now. What do you mean you're not hungry? You just told me you were hungry. You sent us into the, the, the store. You know, you sent us in to get food. But Jesus said, well, I, I've got some meat you know not of. I've been fed in a way you don't understand quite yet. They're, they are cynical. These, they're questioning Jesus. And maybe I read too much into this. But in my mind, I see those bony fingers and accusation pointing to Jesus. And they're sniping. And why would you do that? Why would you talk to him? You're wasting your time. She doesn't mean anything. But while they're questioning Jesus, this woman's out in the city witnessing. Read it, John chapter 4. She had come from water, for water. But the Bible specifically says that when she leaves, her water pot's still there on the, on the edge. She came for one reason only. But when she got in the presence of Jesus, that one reason disappeared. You say, how does that apply to a church? Well, let me just give you one small little way. We do trunk or treats or, or, or uh, 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 fall festivals. We do things like back to school uh, days where we give out backpacks. There's a lot of people that come into this church on those two uh, events and they come for either the candy or they come for the soup or they come for whatever's cooking on the grill or they come to get a free backpack and free school supplies. But we have had people that when they leave, 
forget the reason what brought them here, and they go with something that fills their heart. That's the mission of the church. The very thing that caused that woman to go to the well in the first place was left as something inside of her, that inner thirst, that that hole within her heart that nothing could fill. Being in the presence of Jesus filled it all. And so you you say, well, well, how does that apply today? Well, it applies if you look in the 35th verse. Jesus looks at his disciples and he say, say not ye, or don't say, there are yet four months. I think this is where you were going, Brother Perryman, as you opened up the service. He said, don't, don't say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. He said, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on to the fields, for the fields are white already to harvest. See, here it is. Jesus, uh, Jesus was trying to teach them. He, he said, don't say revival's coming tomorrow. Don't say revival's coming, you know, when we have a special service in a couple months. As he, I, I believe with all of my heart, when Jesus said, look up. If I'm preaching right now and I told you, look up, what are you going to do? You're going to look up. So when Jesus says, look up, every eye raises. And I'm convinced, beyond every shadow of a doubt, that when they looked up, here comes an entire city out. Because the Bible says that she went in the city and then the city followed her back. And so I believe when he said, look up, the fields are white with harvest. What that meant was you didn't even do anything and the harvest is coming to you. You didn't even even knock a door, but the harvest is coming to you. Can I just tell you today, one more time, can I try to put something in your mind that we are in a place and a time right now where, where, yes, we're going to have to work and we need to keep giving our testimony, but I am firmly convinced that there is a field white with harvest that God is able to touch. We may be playing around. We may be going up here. We may be eating here. We may be doing this. But God is doing a work in the hearts of people that are around you on a daily basis. And all he's telling you is look up and watch them come to you. This world is so full of those who are at need. And I pray that you and I don't get so comfortable in our traditions and comfortable in our, our, our church services that we forget to be, to be watching and to be cognizant of those that are coming. It, it, it astounds me. I look at my own children and I, I think in some many uh, things, my children, my own children, Zane or Zoe, are so much better than I am, I was at their age. They, they'll tell people about the Lord. They, they don't have a problem inviting their friends to church. And, and several times they've come. Zane's had a friend that's come and gotten the Holy Ghost. And, and I see that. There is something about this day and age. When I went to, to, to high school, I graduated in 97. When I went to high school, uh, nobody went to Christian concerts that I knew of. I remember going to Carmen concert and going to, church, going to my school. At that point, Hazelwood Central, I believe, was the largest public high school in the state. And I think I found one person out of that whole school that went to that Carmen concert. Nobody went to. If I tried to tell someone in my school about it, they would laugh and they would ridicule and they would pick and they would do all of that. But now I find that people are hungry. Now, they were hungry back then. I should have pushed harder. But we're living in a little bit different age than has ever been. We're living in an age today 
where the world and the people in the world are finding out that the only thing left for them is to return to the church. I can't tell you how many people I've come in contact with in our community that somewhere, somehow, in a conversation, it happened to me at City Hall a year or so ago, and to one of the city council members, she came up to me after I did an invocation, and she said, Pastor, she said, I've never, she said, I haven't heard a prayer like that in so long, and I didn't think it was any great prayer, but she said, now, your church is Pentecostal, right? I said, yes, ma'am, and she said, my grandmother was Pentecostal. I, I find people that, that say, I used to go to church, but man, I miss it. I just, I wish I could find a church to go back to. They're finding out that the church is the only place they're getting answers. I went to, uh, uh, last week, the, the city of O'Fallon had sent me to a police chaplain's conference, and I was able to go down there and be with other police chaplains, other ministers that minister to the police, and and we had several different classes and, and events. And one of the classes was on drug uh, abuse and drug addiction. And the, 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 one of the officers made the statement, and he had been an officer for a long time. He said, it's changed now. He said, used to, we would arrest someone, and if we had to get a tox screen or get a blood alcohol content, we would do that, and they would have one, perhaps one drug in their body. They'd, they'd be drunk. They'd have alcohol in their body. Some of them would have some marijuana in their body. He said every once in a while, we would find people with a couple drugs, like alcohol and marijuana. He said, but now when we go get a talk screen of someone that, that is impaired, when we go get that talk screen, he said now they are averaging five to seven different kinds of drugs in their body because they're trying everything and nothing is filling the void. I'm not trying to make light of this, and, 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 but it's just in my mind. But, you know, I've had people say, oh, marijuana's not that bad. You know, maybe I did it as a, as a, 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 you know, a young man in the 70s. I've had people tell me that. But I'm going to tell you right now, the marijuana that they're smoking now ain't like the marijuana that was in the 70s. They've, they figured out how to make it more potent. Why? Because it's not enough, and there's a hole. But what happens is, everywhere you go, Every time you go to Walmart, every time you step out onto your backyard and you see your neighbor mowing the grass on the other side of the fence. Every time you go to work and someone's in the cubicle or on the assembly line or wherever it is that you are. Every time that you go to school or talk to someone. If you will, I'm asking that God would give you God vision. God goggles, if you will. That you would realize that what they are is a woman coming to the well. And they're just doing their daily routine. But God is putting in your life that phrase, you must needs stop there. I'm glad you got a job, and I know you went to school for it, and you've done great at your job, and you've done a lot of good things at your job, but would you please just understand that God put you there? Of all the jobs you could be at, God directed you there. In your neighborhood, you could have lived a lot of different places, but God let you move there. Why? Because he said, you must needs go through Samaria. Oh, I know it's, it's tough. You deal with people that are, that are broken. You deal with people that are, are bruised. You deal with people that are kind of crazy, but that's all right. Paul said, we know that fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of mankind, thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners, that's just all kind of what some of y'all used to be. 
but you were saved. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And I would begin to sing that old song, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus brought me in. And if he can do that for me, he's wanting to put you in some places where you can help lead someone else there. I, I mentioned it, I think, Sunday, but John chapter 5, you get that story of the lame man that for 38 years had laid at that pool of Bethesda. And, and it, it astounds me out of all of that story. What astounds me is Jesus can walk up to a lame man and that lame man not know who he is. I mean, you have stories all across the Bible where the blind man, well, he doesn't see Jesus walk by, but the blind man somehow recognizes Jesus is coming by. What does he say? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Or the lepers that cry from afar off, Jesus, thou son of David. But here's a lame man. Jesus is standing in front of him, and he don't even recognize it. And I see that a lot in our world today. People can't even tell you who Adam and Eve were. They can't tell you who David and Goliath are. They have no concept of the Bible. They've never read it. We live in a day and time where so many are biblically illiterate. And so what that means, it shouldn't scare you. It's easier when they don't know. They don't argue. They just open. I remember sitting across the table from somebody. And, and it was so interesting because I've had it. We've all had it. You know, you go to witness. You go to knock on somebody's door and they want to just argue about it. I remember sitting across the table at a restaurant with someone, and, and that someone, I said, let's pray. And, and I asked, I said, would you like to pray for our meal? And he said, yes. And he said, Lord, would you help me hear what this pastor has to say and let me understand the word of God? I about jumped out of my table and did dancing all around that, that place. I got saints that won't even pray that prayer. Not you, but others. Can you imagine a hungry heart that says, God, I've prayed that you would send somebody to my door. I've prayed that you would send somebody to where I am. And then all of a sudden, you walk up on the scene. That's where we are today. That's where we are today. The, uh, the only way that you and I can do that is to make sure that you and I begin to birth that passion inside of us to help the hurting and save the lost. The disciples, I'm so thankful that by the time Acts chapter 2 came around, they got a different mindset. But I want to be the type of person that says, Lord, wherever you lead me, show me who I need to talk to. It might be a woman at a well. It might be a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. It may be just someone that tugs on the hem of my garment one day. But would you help me do it? Romans chapter 13 says it this way. And knowing that the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For we know that now our salvation is nearer than when we had believed. For the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife nor envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Jesus said it best, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt's lost its savor, what, wherewith shall it be salted? It's not good for anything but just to be cast out and walked on. 
You're the light of the world. The city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. We don't light candles and hide it under a bucket. But we put it on a candlestick so it gives light to all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men. You and I have a purpose in this life. Your purpose is to bring a good taste to the mouths of this world. To be a light to this world that they might be guided to Christ. Guided to Christ. I hear the words of Jesus one more time. As he looks at Simon Peter, just perhaps a few days before Jesus goes to heaven, there in the ending of our Gospels, he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, are you sure you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Is it possible that the truest way of measuring your love for Him is not necessarily in how much you praise, but how much you witness? I don't think it's as too far of a, of, a, of a stretch to say, if you love Him, then you must feed the sheep. Witness. Tell the others. I haven't necessarily told you how, Brother uh, Hobson, next Wednesday, is going to come and you're going to want to bring some, some notes. You're going to want to bring some paper. You're going to want to take notes. He's going to talk to you, and it's phenomenal. And it's not some fancy little program. I promise you that. It's not something that you go, oh, well, that maybe that works in that community or it works in that city. No, he's just going to come with some biblical principles that you can start applying right now. But you won't apply them unless you have the passion to do so. He could teach for hours and have all of the PowerPoints and all of the slides, but if you don't have that desire inside, it's never going to stick. Jesus says, do you love me? If you do, then I want you to feed my sheep. I want us to stand for a moment. I think it would be good for you and I to take a moment. We've got a little bit of time. I think it would be good whether you come around this altar, whether you stand or kneel at your own place could you take just a few moments would you ask the Lord to guide you to show you to awaken within you that passion and that burden to spread the truth to spread the gospel to tell somebody about the wonderful things that Jesus has done would you begin to pray would you begin to ask that right now in the precious name of Jesus the God of this city you're the king of these people, you're the lord of this nature.